0: Did you know that you can help us produce new seasons of our podcasts and audio series? At Studio Chenta, we just launched a new series of audiobooks based on our podcasts, and they're currently for sale. There are many titles available, from romantic comedy to horror, true crime, communication and linguistics, food and lifestyle, migration stories, and much, much more. Available in Spanish, English, Italian, and French. Check out our full catalog at slash audiobooks and find the titles on apps like Libra.fm, Apple Books, Google Play, Storytel, Bookbeat, and on your favorite audiobook app. Thank you so much for supporting our work.
1: Welcome to How Not to Travel, a podcast about seeing the world differently. It's been a minute since we posted, and that's because travel has changed so, so much since this pandemic started. So, for the next few weeks, we're going to break down how not to travel, COVID edition. This week, xenophobia. By the way, this podcast was recorded months ago, but just recently was brought to national attention. This just goes to show how long this has been happening. I'm sitting on my couch, scrolling through the news. I often have to check exclusive Asian American news sites just to find out what's going on in my own community. You see, Asians are not headline in any mainstream news anywhere. So I clicked on my favorite news source and start reading. Hmm coronavirus dutch chinese woman attacked after asking a group of dutch boys to stop singing a racist song oh here's another one stabbing of asian american two-year-old and her family was a virus-fueled hate crime feds oh is this another one acid attack on brooklyn woman in apparent coronavirus hate crime and another Asian Australians threatened and spat on in racist incidents amid coronavirus. And finally, 89-year-old Chinese-American woman set on fire in New York City. Since then, there have been multiple Asian murders. There's too many to count. In addition, Asian people being murdered by police. I FaceTime my mom to tell her to stay inside, not because of the virus, but because of hate. I find her turned away from the camera as she faces someone yelling at her in the parking lot saying she doesn't belong there. She shouts back, shut up, then turns back to the camera and smiles. Oh, hey, it's a regular occurrence for her. She's not even phased. I wish I could say Asian hate crime is only happening during the time of Corona, But it happens so frequently, it's just now people have an excuse. And only now, maybe, we might get a headline about it. But just know, this happens every single day. In this episode, we're going to talk about the quote-unquote China virus and how it's affected Asian communities around the world. Did you know? Xenophobia is the fear or hatred of people from other countries. Xenophobia is the fear or hatred against China, its people, its diaspora, or its culture. Yes, there is a whole word for hating Chinese people. Xenophobia and xenophobia are global issues that exist everywhere. It is baked into every part of our society. and has increased against anyone Chinese or passing as Chinese during COVID-19 worldwide.
0: So first, let's head to Europe. Living in Portugal, I was already being singled out quite a lot for being Asian because like where I live is quite a small town, like small city. So there aren't a lot of people who look at me like me living here, especially. But then definitely the last few months... I feel like more people were staring at me and looking at me.
1: That's Yushin. She's Malaysian and a full-time digital content creator. I wanted to see how Europeans were receiving her as an Asian person. People tend to single
0: me out, and I often overhear people pointing me out, and they, they like to say things like, oh, look, it's a Chinese. It's hard here because I don't know a lot of Asian people myself, maybe just two other people, but they've also reported being like singled out and being stared at. Other Asians in Europe, I think I've heard like in in Paris, it seems it's quite bad as well. And then I think my mom also once told me like to be extra careful, like don't go out because like, you know, people might want to like attack you or people might not like seeing you outside. And then just when the virus was, the pandemic was starting, it was in February, I was in Andorra on a snowboarding trip and it was pretty packed and I did... Over here, like a group of Spanish people, like because I understand Portuguese, I can also pick up Spanish, even though I don't speak it. But they were clearly talking about me and like singling me out and pointing at me and saying something about me being from China, even though I'm not, and saying something about the virus. Let's go to the States.
1: Some people call it the Chinese
2: flu, the China flu. They call it the China as opposed to China. The
3: China.
4: I've never seen anything like it.
3: So I slowed down to readjust um, the rubber band around my ear and I noticed a tall older man with like a built physique and a blue New York Yankees cap and a surgical mask like crossed the road towards me. There wasn't really anyone around even though it was like 4 p.m. and he started walking closer. When he was about a foot away from me, he pulled down his mask with his finger and I thought he was actually gonna ask me for directions because that had happened the week before with somebody else. And instead he made sure I heard next time, don't bring your diseases back from your country. And, you know, he was so close. I could see the lines and wrinkles on his face. In that moment, you know, I had so many bags with me and I like was thinking, I just want to tell this dude to like fuck off, like I'm American kind of shit. But he was like right in my face pretty much. And he stood there for a moment expecting a reaction. And then he kept walking when he thought I wasn't going to do or say anything. So I like waited until he was about 15 or 20 feet away from me while I was at a safer distance and I yelled back at him, like from the middle of like the intersection. I was like, I'm American, sir, have a nice day. I was like screaming this. I was like screaming it so loud, like with all my bags. And at that point, I kind of felt like if he were to come back and like try to like mess with me, like I would like throw like my groceries at him. I like did not give a shit. I was like, there's no way I'm not gonna say something but I also want to make sure that I'm at a safe enough distance to engage. Um, At that point, there were like more cars and passerbys, but I was yelling so loud and repeatedly that I drowned out anything he had to say. And then I just like zigzagged my way back home. But um, for a few months, even after that, I strategically devised like a way to like leave my house and like, you know, instead of going once a week for groceries, I was like, no, I got to do it twice a week. That was Jalene. She's a
1: Chinese-American shoe designer living in New York. She is just one of the many Asians experiencing corona-related incidents in the USA. She also touched on how Asian communities don't feel safe in public, but also don't feel protected by the state.
3: So, you know, like for me, I, as a citizen as a person in this community i want to also be able to holistically approach uh conflicts in a way that is going to help my community too that it's not just involving the police when also during that time there was like the double standard racist policing of black and brown people in new york city right versus like in the west village and then in chinatown you know you have like older Chinese people and Asian people being targeted more violently and like not getting the police involved because of this pre-existing culture to not get the police involved, right? There's a lot of Chinese Americans that just don't believe in involving the police. It depends on the class that you come from, I think. I think people that grew up in Chinatown or live in Chinatown or immigrant status are undocumented, have a different experience with trusting the police.
1: Did you know that one out of six undocumented immigrants is Asian and one out of seven Asian immigrants is undocumented. That means over 1.7 million Asians are undocumented living in the USA and of those 17.9% are undocumented Chinese. So the next time you say East Asians are privileged Chinese people are privileged, etc., cetera, et cetera, and talk about your undocumented stories, please include Asians, and stop repeating that narrative. Speaking of Chinatown...
5: I love Chinatown, first of all. Um, you know, it's where I grew up going as a kid, because I would visit my grandpa in Oakland, Chinatown, and it's always felt like home, and it Something that I think is so special um, is that, you know, I've gone to so many different cities around the world, in Cuba, in Mexico, you know, in different states in the U.S. And like when I moved to New York, going to the Chinatown of New York kind of made me feel like home. Even if I wasn't at home, I could go there and it it smelled the same and it kind of looked the same. And, you know, it, it just felt comforting to be in that kind of environment again. And while I haven't been to California since the pandemic started, something that made me so sad is seeing that New York Chinatown is so empty right now. And it's a lot of elders that live there um, that really need the help. And all these shops, all these restaurants that are usually so full and vibrant are empty. And and I've heard it's been that way since people started hearing about the pandemic. Um, you know, it affected like Lunar New Year. It was kind of emptier. And and these businesses are the ones that are going to be affected the most. Um, a lot of them can barely afford like to rent or like like pay for the property that they have now due to gentrification. Did you know
1: that Asian-American businesses are overrepresented in the hardest hit sectors by COVID-19 such as food, accommodations, retail, and education? Of those businesses, 75% do not have the opportunity for a small business loan due to not having an existing relationship with a bank. This makes Asian business owners particularly vulnerable to theft and violent robbery. In addition, none of the financial relief services are offered in any Asian language. Asian American businesses are also more likely to employ more than one person, resulting in an unemployment rate increase by 600%, greater than any other racial group. Asian American women
5: are being hit the hardest.
1: Here's Katie Lang with her favorite Asian American relief organization to support right now.
5: There's a really wonderful organization called Heart of Dinner, um, which I love. And it's a bunch of restaurant owners and queer Asian organizers who are basically working with Chinatown businesses to feed elders in Chinatown. Um, Kind of like Meals on Wheels, but cooler because it's helping out uh, Chinatown elders.
1: That's Time Magazine journalist Katie Lang a Filipina Chinese American who wrote an article on the very long and complicated history of being Asian American in the U S we'll go ahead and link it in our show notes because honestly, we just don't have enough time to go over it all
5: in this moment. A lot of people are focusing on anti-blackness and not necessarily looking at the solidarity that these two communities have shared, but also just in focusing on this current moment and I think focusing on conflicts, they were also erasing the long history of racial violence that Asian Americans have experienced, Um, not only now because of the coronavirus pandemic and the xenophobia, I think that's been really raised around this global health crisis, but, also just the long history of racial violence due to immigration and due to racism that Asian Americans have faced really since they started coming to the United States.
1: Did you know that the Chinese Exclusion Act was passed to specifically keep Chinese people out of the United States and that it did not get repealed until recently in 1943? But still, There was a racial quota put on the number of Asians that could enter the USA until the Immigration Act of 1965.
5: I don't think that the fact that we've seen an uptick in anti-Asian violence happening right now should take away from the fact that this has been happening for centuries and is something that will continue to happen unless we stop it.
1: I asked Katie to give me a specific example.
5: So Vincent Chin was a Chinese-American man living in Detroit um, and he was killed by white men who were angry, they were out of work, they thought he was Japanese, um, so they thought that that was reason enough to beat him so badly that he died Um, and that was a big point of I think when a lot of people, it, it was evident that racial violence was happening to Asian Americans on a large scale. I think that the history of the United States is built on anti-Asian racism and racial violence. We definitely see it from the time that the earliest um, Asian immigrants were coming to the country. I think specifically of what happened to Chinese immigrants who came over and helped build the country by building the railroads um, when they came over because of the gold rush. Um, When they were being laborers, you know, they did laundry, they had restaurants, the ways in which immigration policy really affected their quality of life, um, the ways in which other white laborers, especially poor white laborers, would kill them um, and commit other types of heinous racial violence against them during these times. And I think it continues on, you know, the immigration acts didn't allow any other, you know, it was illegal for people because of acts like the Chinese Exclusion Act um, and the Gentlemen's Agreement for Asian immigrants to come through, who are Chinese and Japanese. Did you
1: know the Chinese massacre of 1871 resulted in the lynching of 17 Chinese men, while three were shot and killed, and others mutilated by a mob of 500 white and mestizo men driven by racism? At the time, Asians could not testify in court against whites, and therefore, no consequence was served. This happened right in the middle of your beloved Los Angeles. Is that history you're ever taught?
5: One of the things that marks Asian American identity, and I think one of the saddest things, is that we are considered invisible. You know, our accomplishments are not recognized. um, Our contributions are not recognized. And, you know, in turn, our pain is not recognized, our suffering is not recognized, the racism against us. This is something that I've struggled my
1: whole life with. Being invisible is one thing, but then speaking out against it and then being silenced when I get sent death threats while being told it's not the right time to talk about this or even denied that my oppression exists, has had so many effects on my physical and mental health. So I called up my friend, Vietnamese American Cassandra, who runs a mental health space for Asian Americans called Join the Cosmos.
4: I think the incident where there was the woman in Brooklyn who had acid thrown on her, that was the first time it became you know, real for me in the sense of like, oh, I need to reflect on like, where do I feel safe or unsafe? And like, and actually give myself space to process as opposed to trying to just take care of everybody else. And then there were a couple other incidents of like people getting stabbed in Sunset Park. And um, and then I started seeing Cosmos members write about how they had various, um, varying degrees, I think of unsafety happen to them in their neighborhoods. Unsafety started really getting closer to me it felt like it came from all angles it was like the personal like violence what has happened to so many Asians is like we just sit with it alone in silence uh and hope that there would be some sort of i think avenue for us to have the dialogue it gets eclipsed by other things so quickly so for my asian people's out there first of all i just want to say i see you i feel you and i hear you and the one thing that is has been so uplifting for me that I want to share with you all is I've never seen the Asian community galvanize and show up for each other the way that we are now. So I invite you to lean into your feelings and open up to whether that's your friends, your family, um, chosen family, whoever it is, and share what you're going through because your feelings are valid. And especially like what I have found is in you opening up, it's not something that can wait until the revolution is over. And for non-Asian folks, one of the best um, things that you could do right now is to realize that whether it's Indigenous, Latinx, Black, Asian history, it's also American history.
1: And not only is it American history, it's also Australian history. Here's Dr. Naomi, a Singaporean Croatian reporting from the Gold Coast of... Australia.
2: I was the only Asian in the school and I used to think it was so cool at the time but when I was five years old the kids in grade seven used to come down to our part of the playground to pick me up and pass me around just so they could touch my hair and at the time I was like oh my god I'm so popular because my hair is so soft <laughs> and then I grew up and looked back on that and I was like that's that's not okay.
1: <laughs> Did you know that Australia has the largest number of Chinese people per capita than any other nation outside of Asia, and that due to the huge anti-Asian sentiment felt by white Australians, it fueled the establishment of the White Australia policy that made it near impossible for any Chinese to enter Australia. Like the Chinese Exclusion Acts of the USA, this only recently started ending in the 1960s.
2: When I grew up a little bit more, one of my teachers, she pulled me aside and she was like, you know, Naomi, it's time to go to ESL. And I was like, I don't, I don't know what that means. And she's like, you have to go to ESL now. And she's like, English as a second language. And I was like, oh no, no, I don't go to that. Like, I only speak English. And she's like, no, what languages do you speak? This is in front of all my class. And I was like, English. (laughs) She's like, no, what language do you speak at home? And I was like, "Mm mm-hmm. English? (laughs) She's like, what language does your mum speak? And I was like, oh, I mean, mum speaks a ton of languages. And she's like, no, go to ESL. And she sent me wandering around the school to find this random ESL class.
1: That's real. I think so many people with immigrant parents can relate to this, Asian or not.
2: There was a house down in Melbourne um, that had like a brick through in through their window and then they had um, COVID-19 China, something dumb like that, spray painted. Um, Across the front of their house. So there is definitely hate crime happening Yeah, so there was a reasonably big online national survey It looked at around 6,000 people and what we found is that 84% of Asian Australians experience racism like 84% is a big big number and if you have a look at Asian Australians who are born in Australia if both of their parents were born in an Asian country their rates of racism were just as high. It was at 86%. So what that is saying is that regardless of whether or not you were born and raised in Australia and you are Australian, (laughs) that doesn't affect whether or not you experience racism because if you look Asian, you will experience racism is kind of the bottom line there.
1: Despite these setbacks, Asians everywhere have been organizing unity and solidarity projects, petitions and organizations in coalition with other racial groups, as well as creating databases to track their own anti-Asian racism attacks.
2: So the Asian-Australian Alliance, I definitely know about. They are fantastic. They play a big part in helping organize our um, Black Lives Matter protests here in Australia, which is really fantastic but I feel like we are still quite separated and we still haven't all come together to create a cohesive movement with one another. I feel like there's still a lot of work to do.
1: In conclusion, Asian contributions, statistics, and struggles have been virtually erased from our collective histories as well as current mainstream media. It is killing us. To counteract that, please... Please, say something when you see Asians left out of your workplace practices, your diversity trainings, your statistics, your representation, your news, your curriculum, etc, etc, and even more importantly, say something when you see an Asian getting attacked in real life. Actually, say something period when you see somebody getting attacked in real life. Remember that anti-Asian sentiments are embedded into every aspect of society. So we need to be vigilant of the content we consume, unpack the biases we have and the lies we repeat. I know this episode was just about Asians, but there are marginalized communities around the world with their own experiences and their own colonial contexts, each with their own unique oppressions and contributions that must be recognized. As you heard, we saw it in the Americas, in Europe and in Oceania. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. The erasure and silencing on these issues have violent effects. In order for our world to progress, we need interracial coalitions working together. We can't get ahead if there are others left behind. So on your next trip, think about the contributions being made by marginalized communities living in those countries. Xenophobia and xenophobia are global issues So let's work together on recognizing it when it happens and standing against it vocally. So I hope this deeply personal podcast episode encourages empathy and direct action in support for Asian people. But above all, this episode seeks to validate other marginalized groups whose histories and present distress is being covered up, forgotten, and left unsupported the host and producer of this podcast was me, Dr. Kiona executive producer is Loya Martinez and this is an Ochenta podcast produced by Studio Ochenta. the sound editor on this is Luis Roel Lopez-Levi art was done by Tiffany DeLune and the music was done by Gabriel D'Amaso This podcast is a racial coalition in itself, as it is produced by a Latina, hosted by an Asian, and amplifies Indigenous and Black voices across the world. We hope you learn something and that you continue seeking out intersectional projects such as these. Thank you for listening. Transcripts are available on our website for the deaf and hard of hearing, and sources are linked out within the text.
4: Hi, I'm Lori Martinez, founder of Studio Ochenta and executive producer of Mija Podcast. Jumping into your feed here to share some big news. At Studio Ochenta, we're all about raising voices across cultures and telling stories from diverse perspectives around the world. That's why I'm excited to share our latest production with our listeners, Mija Podcast Season 3, an audio drama that tells the story of one Muslim Egyptian family's journey from Alexandria to London and New York. You can listen to Miha Podcast in English, Spanish, or Arabic versions over at Ochintastudio.com slash Podcast.